0: I was like two days from my 40th birthday at that point. So I turned 40 years old, in a bed, broke, divorced, bedridden, paralyzed, trying to figure out what the hell do I do now? The main thing is, if you look at anything in nature, nature doesn't let anything get by until it pays a price to get stronger. And usually it's hardship, it's adversity. Deprivation is what creates appreciation in anything. Where I was at, I had to find something, anything to be grateful for. And that was the beginning for me. That was the cornerstone.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode number 77 of the Modern Warrior podcast. Today, I am joined by the man, the legend, that is Marcus Aurelius Anderson, who is a best selling author, TEDx speaker, and international keynote speaker. He's a mindset coach to leaders, CEOs, and entrepreneurs. He's also the host of the top-rated Acta Non Verba podcast. While preparing to deploy with the US Army, Marcus suffered a severe spinal injury that left him paralysed. After dying on the operating table twice, the surgeons saved his life but told him he'd never walk again. Having no other option... Marcus started doing some brutally honest soul-searching, looking for the lesson to be learned from his injury. Once he started seeing his adversity as a gift instead of a curse, something miraculous began to happen. Marcus now speaks, writes, inspires, coaches others to overcome their own adversities, to actualize their personal definition of success in business and every area of life. His message teaches us how we can use our own adversity to make us into better leaders, citizens, and human beings to create a better world.
0: Marcus, my man, how are you? What's going on, brother? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me on. I'm already excited about doing this, so this is going to be incredible.
1: It's an honor, man. I've, I've, uh, I've listened to your story, heard your story on, on TED Talk. I was incredibly inspired by that and everything you've gone through. And uh, of course, from that experience, you've written the book, The Gift of Adversity. And can you tell the audience and the listeners today why you feel adversity is such a gift for you at this point in your life?
0: Yeah, and it's it's crazy. It's impossible to see the gift of adversity when we're going through it. We have to get beyond it. We have to go past it, which means we have to accept it to have the ability to look back on it and see what's going on. You have to have that hindsight now, but it's easy to talk about it because you and I are in like a dry, warm, safe place. But when we're there and the diversity presses down on us, now all of a sudden we start making bargains in our minds. We start rationalizing things. I call them rational lies. It's a lie that to us seems rational and that allows us to get away with it. It's like you're negotiating with the terrorists in your mind and that's not going to help you do something great. It's going to help you stay mediocre. It's going to help you do what everybody else is doing. And there'll be plenty of mediocre people around you to bring you into the fold as well. That, uh, that tweet that I put up yesterday, misery loves company, but not as much as mediocrity. And that's the fucking truth because there's a part of, So there's a part of people that really, really want to see us win, but there's also a part of people that feel sort of jealous of it. And that's just human nature. So people talk about this notion of saying, oh, in in German, they have a term, that's called schadenfreude. And it means you take pleasure in seeing somebody else's discomfort or failing. The reverse is true, where when somebody sees you, especially if it's somebody that you grew up with or somebody from your neck of the woods and they're succeeding, and they're willing to go out and try and fall down and face adversity and fail in the face of adversity and still keep moving, there's something about that that reflects onto us our inadequacies. And so when we look at that, it's very telling. And so when we see ourselves getting caught in that, if we catch ourselves going through that loop, we have to understand that one, it's not serving us. And two, it's probably hitting a nerve. It's an indication that, you know what, maybe I should be doing something. Maybe I should be more honest with myself. And the beauty about adversity is it strips away everything that you're not. It doesn't show you who you are. It strips away all the bullshit that we've layered on top of ourselves. And when you get to the brass tacks, when you get to that rawness, you're not going to like what you see. And that's the truth, but it's okay because there are going to be some other things in there that maybe you do like, but until you're really honest with yourself and look at that stuff, it's very easy to just continually live that lie, continually do just enough to get by continually just get through the weekend, have a few drinks at the pub, get through the game, start back Monday, do it again. But all of a sudden you turn around and you're 35 or 40 and you're like, what have I been doing? And usually our body reflects that. Usually our mentality reflects that. Usually our relationships reflect that. And we get put in this place where we don't understand that proximity does not mean compatibility. Just because you're close to somebody, because you grew up in this town or you work with them does not necessarily mean that they are the person that you should be around necessarily. And that's why a lot of people, I grew up in the Midwest, going to the East Coast or the West Coast of the United States, or even going to Europe and and study over there for a while. Those things are what you have to do because you're willfully going through and creating this adversity and then stepping into it. And adversity is the catalyst that forces you to level up. So, if I've never been in the UK or never been to Ireland before and never written in the tube and don't understand how everything goes, that's going to be a big change for me. Going to Europe, going to Italy and seeing everything written in Italian and not English, it's a big shift for me. But the thing is, once we're there, you're already immersed. Mm-hmm. And diversity offers you no other choice. And when there's no other choice, the choice is simple. So, if I'm there, I have to evolve, I have to change, I have to learn, I have to grow. And if we have the ability to have that courage, we can do that in any environment. But in our first world problems, we usually don't have that. It's very easy for us to get away from that. So in my TEDx, I talk about that and and I talk about it in the book too. The main thing is if you look at anything in nature, nature doesn't let anything get by until it pays a price to get stronger. And usually it's hardship, it's adversity, extreme cold, heat, water deprivation, whatever it is. And deprivation is what creates appreciation in anything. So if you do a water fast, or if you do anything where you're deprived of it, once you get that back into your life, you can better appreciate it. But more importantly, it helps you see where it fits into your life, maybe where you were taking it for granted. And that's why, again, if we have this just continual boring existence where there's no adversity, then there's really no stimuli. There's there's no hero's journey that I want to hear whether the person starts and then they have it easy. No, that's not what you want to hear. Stephen Pressfield talks about there's three acts. There's the call, there's the adversity, and then there's the person you may come on the other side. But if it wasn't for adversity, there's no way we would change. There's nothing that would force us to elevate. There was nothing that would force me to get stronger. So whether it be running distance, whether it be lifting weight, whether it be having an honest conversation, whether it be calling ourselves on our bullshit because we say that we want something, but our actions are not reflecting it, right? Octa non verba, these not words. That's where we have to be. So that's why adversity is great because it really, when the pressure is on, you know where the strength is and then you start to see where the gaps are and you will not find them any other way. So in my my book and even in the TEDx, I say an adversary, the physical manifestation of adversity is the most honest person you will ever meet in your life because their intention is to hurt you and it's obvious and they wear that intention on their sleeves, it's impossible to misconstrue what they're wanting. But even in that, it gives you a fighting chance. Because in today's sort of almost Machiavellian existence, a lot of people will shake your hand and smile and they'll be trying to stab you in the back at the same time. So we have to understand that adversity is just natural. It's gonna be there in some way, shape or form. And right now, as you and I are speaking, there's adversity building, growing, creating momentum for all of us, whether it be in a world or whether it be an individual or whether it be an individual's world, so to speak. But once we're there, we have to decide how do I want to approach this? I call it the adversity perception cycle. Adversity builds up momentum. So if we can step back and take a breath, now we stop that momentum. And now our perception is key. If I look at this and say, this is going to suck. I don't know if I can get through this. Why am I having to do this? Now I'm going through this again, this bargaining. I'm going through all of this where I'm really allowing myself this luxury of being a victim, if we're being really honest. What you have to do is you have to nip that in the bud. You have to say, so what? Now what? You have to come to this radical acceptance of what the adversity that you're facing is. See it for what it is without any kind of judgment, without any kind of desired outcome and you say, this is the way it is. Now, what am I going to do? Because everything that happens to us is neutral. Every event is neutral. It means nothing until we give it a meaning. That meaning that we attach to whatever that event is evokes an emotion. And then that emotion influences thought potentially behaviors. But if we can take our ego out of it and stop saying, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person. I don't deserve this. That's not empowering. That's a disempowering thing. Our mind is designed to answer questions. And if the questions I'm constantly asking it are disempowering, there's no fucking way that the answer that I give you is going to serve you. Why is this always so hard? No matter what the answer is, it's not going to help me. Why does this always happen to me? Why are there other people that are bad people that get away with shit? Again, none of that's helping me. In combat, there are casualties and there are victims, right? Mm -hmm you and I are on on the field, you get shot, I pick you up and we're running. You're shooting with your weapon as we exfil because you're a warrior, because that's what a casualty does. You're still fighting. The victim gets shot, lays there, and then doesn't do anything to self-aid, doesn't try to get to cover, doesn't try to exfil on their own, doesn't try to communicate, doesn't try to shoot, doesn't do any of that. Because in their mind, it is already a defeated mentality. So that perception of adversity is everything. But if you look at it and say, listen, I have to do this 25 mile ruck march and it's gonna suck. And I have hundred pounds on my back, but God damn, I'm gonna be so strong when I get through this. I'm gonna look back on this later and we're all gonna remember, remember when we did that 25 ruck march, God, that sucked. we were all scuffed up and we got sunburned and dehydrated and whatever everything else. That's the way you have to look at it. See it as an opportunity to get stronger. See that as an opportunity to make yourself even more than what you thought was possible at that moment. And when you do that, that breeds that forward momentum. So now it'll serve you. So every time you see adversity again, you see it as an opportunity, as a challenge. In chaos, there is always opportunity. But what happens is even for leaders, right? If a leader can stay present in chaos to the actual priority, not the chaos surrounding the priority, but the actual mission, they will always win. They will always succeed and people will always follow them. But if you don't stand up in the face of that, then nobody's going to follow you. And if you're the leader, or even if you're on a team, there's a pretty good chance that somebody's not going to make it. And even if it's not you, you may get one of your guys killed. So for me, being 38, joining the military at, at the infantry at a young at an older age like that, uh, as I was, we were talking about before, I had just gone through a divorce. I was in chiropractic school. I just gone through a divorce and then my great uncle who is my biggest male role model besides my father had passed. So that's a brutal one, two punch. So I'm bartending 40 hours a week. I'm taking 25 hours of doctorate level courses. I'm fucking killing myself to get through this thing, sleeping like three or four hours a night. And when both of those things happen, it just knocked me on my ass. And I'm just like, why am I even doing this? Do I want to do this? And that's what adversity does. It knocks you all the way down. It makes you hit rock bottom. And it makes you ask yourself, am I doing this for the right reasons? When I talk to people, when, when, you, when you coach somebody, you have the CEO that's got this incredible life, all this money, this great family, huge house, huge business. And he's like, how do I push harder? I don't think I can do this anymore. And so he's asking me, hey, what tips can you give me to keep pushing? And it's like, that's not what we're doing. We have to come obliquely indirectly, and say, are you doing this for the right reasons? And if he is, you'll see that smile. They'll kind of, yeah, because now they understand that there's a lot more reserve out there for them, there's all these other levels of energy and fuel that they didn't tap into. What made them tap into it? Adversity. But if they're not doing it for the right reasons, if they're doing it just for the accolades or for the car or for the money, they understand, shit, I don't need to do this anymore. Where would I naturally gravitate towards if I already was at this place, which they are. So that's why it's so powerful. That's where adversity does. It really knocks us down, keeps us very honest. It challenges us and it forces us to ask us, is this what I really want? Is this why I'm doing this for the right reasons? So I'd always want to join the military. I always had a reason not to. I was the lead pallbearer for my father, for my grandfather. For, sorry, for my great uncle's um, ceremony for his funeral. And I was good until they played taps And the color guard folds the flag into the triangle and they do the right face and they walk and I'm sitting next to my great aunt, his his widow. And I'm trying to console her. And once they start playing taps, I lose it. And the last thing I hear them say is, thank you for your sacrifice. We're sorry for your loss to my great aunt. And then she has to like keep me up because I'm just losing it. That was on the weekend, that Monday I thought, well, Let's see if I can get into the military. I go talk to the recruiter. He says, 35 is the age limit. He asked me how old it was. And I said, 38. He's like, well, uh, explain to me, why do you want to join the military? And I told him kind of what I told you. And he says, well, are you smart? And I'm like, well, Sergeant, with all due respect, I'm talking to a recruiter at 38 years old. Do I sound smart to you? But what he meant was, how would I do on like a placement test, like an ASVAB in the United States? Well, I've already got a doctorate level education almost at that point. So I do well on that. And then for the PT test, the physical test for my age group, I max it out. So in the U S military, he's like, okay, with these test scores, not only will I sign a waiver to let you in, but you can do any job that you want. We call them MOSs in, in the United States military, but it's any job that you want. So if you want to work on Comanches, if you want to be a helicopter pilot, if you want to do internet security, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I already know what I want to do. He's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, imagery. And he kind of laughs. He's like, Anderson, you don't get it. You're 38 years old. He's like, you want to join the infantry? I said, yeah. And um, he's like, man, you can do anything you want. I was like, Sergeant, this is what I want. And if I don't get this, I'm walking out. And we go back and forth for about half an hour. And then finally, he signs it, slides it over. He's like, hey, man, it's your life. And then six months later, I'm getting off the bus at Fort Benning, Georgia, getting yelled at by guys younger than me, competing against guys half my age but that was the adversity that I needed. There was no other way out. I had to go through, right? Human beings can adapt to anything if there's adversity and no other choice. And that's where I was at. And even then you've got a 19, 20 year old kid who's in great shape, but now he broke his ankle on a ruck march at night because he wasn't paying attention. Or you have kids that are dislocating their shoulders and now they're being recycled or, or exiled, right? They're getting kicked out. Once I was through the first two weeks and I started to actually believe that my body would hold up, I was good because my mentality was strong. I'm a 38 year old guy who's actually lived some life. I've already done things. You have a 19 year old kid who's lived at home his whole life and then you put him into an environment like that. And this was in 2012, 2011, back when it was still um, pretty uh, aggressive when we were being trained at that point. So they wanna break you. They wanna get rid of the weak guys because if this kid freezes up now, we have to get rid of him now because if he freezes up, he's going to get everybody killed, right? So that was the beginning for me. I got to Fort Benning. Then after I got through that, went through AIT, got to a 10th Mountain Light Infantry Division. It's in upstate New York. So if you guys have heard of Black Hawk Down, if you've heard of Oper- Operation Anaconda, that was a unit that I was with. I wasn't with them at the time, but that's that is the kind of service there. That's the sort of history that's there. And you have people that are very proud of that. So when you have that NCO or you have those officers that have actually been around that, they absolutely beat that into you, which I couldn't be more thankful because these are the guys that prepared us to go. And these are the guys that have actually seen it. So for me, as soon as I got there, they were like, get ready to pack your trash. We're getting ready to deploy. So they're in the middle of a train up to deploy. They kept pushing it back. They kept pushing it back. And then the next year in the winter. Now, for those of you that don't know, Upstate New York is by Canada. They're twenty miles south of the Canadian border. It's next to Lake Ontario, so it's constantly raining, and that means in the winter is constantly snowing. So we're a, a light light infantry division, but we're mountain division. So mountain warfare is what we do. Jumping out of airplanes is what we do. So Afghanistan is what we were designed for. Put you in, put put us in any aircraft. We jump out twenty clicks away. We assault through, and we win. That's what we do. Having said that. The training, when you're out in the field for two or three weeks, when it's negative 20 degrees and it's freezing, I started getting a lot of numbness in my fingers and my hands and then my feet, but I assumed that it was because of that. But as I went on, it started getting worse. I was having a hard time holding on to the bar for pull-ups. When we would run, I was having a hard time even feeling my heel strike. But I'm an old guy in the military and I know that that's going to be there and there's always going to be pain. There's always going to be discomfort. So you just push that down. Plus at this point, I had just been given my own team. So now I'm a team leader. So all these guys I'm responsible for. So I don't have the luxury of sitting around saying, oh, I got to, my toe hurts or my hand hurts. It's like, fuck that. I have to get these guys ready. And as a team leader, you're going to have some great guys and you're going to have some guys that are not squared away. So it's up to us. It's up to me to keep them in line. It starts getting worse and worse when we're doing an FTX, we're out in the field. I come back and we finally get back into the barracks and it's warm and I'm dry and I'm taking a shower for the first time in a couple of weeks. And then I'm like, man, I just need to get some sleep and I'm going to be good tomorrow. And there's an AAR I have to give the next day. And after action, report a debrief. When I wake up the next morning, I try to roll out of bed and my neck will articulate, but from my neck down, nothing moves. Now the chiropractic student in me is like, well, this is just this is happening for a second. I'm sure that my body will click in after about two or three minutes of that. I'm doing like a scan of my body. I can't feel anything. Nothing's moving. This is serious. And right about then I get a knock on my door. I yell to the door. I can't move. They can tell that I'm not messing around. They knock on the door and we're going to the hospital. I'd ruptured a disc in my neck. And so from that nerve level around C5 down, there's nothing. And for those of you that remember, there's an American actor, an older actor who passed away. His name's Christopher Reed. He was one of the first, he played Superman. He had an equestrian accident. He fell off of a horse. And that was the same area where he had fallen. And that's where he had had that nerve damage. So when I get there and they tell me what's going on and they do the MRI, I was like, this ain't good. Put me in there, get me ready for the operation. First time I've been in the hospital. I mean, I had, you know, stitches here and there, but nothing really that bad. They put me under, they say, start counting from hundred. I get to about 98, wake up in the ICU. When they come back, they say, man, we lost you for a second. I didn't know what they meant. I'd flatlined twice. And so I do not remember a whole lot. It was very cold and it was very dark, but they had a very congratulatory tone about it. But the other side of it is they say, the good news is you get to live to tell the tale. The bad news is this is what you're left with. And this is what your life is. I was like two days from my 40th birthday at that point. So I turned 40 years old in a bed, broke, divorced, bedridden, paralyzed, trying to figure out what the hell do I do now? And so when I talk about adversity, knocking us down, taking everything that you've ever had as, as men, okay. As warriors, A lot of us base our worth on our physical capacity or on our occupation. I'm a protector, I'm a provider, I'm a warrior, I'm a soldier. But to have all of your physicality ripped away from you, all these things that you've taken for granted your entire life. I've done martial arts since I was 11. Everything was easy for me physically in my mind. I could just pick everything up. And now I can't even wipe my own ass. So if you're listening to us right now, I want to ask you, if you woke up tomorrow paralyzed from the neck down, what do you wish you would have accomplished with your life? Because those are the kind of questions that will change not only the way you look at life, but hopefully the decisions you make from here on out. Because if you start taking this stuff seriously, every drop of water that you put in your body will matter. Every morsel of food, the quality of that food, the quality of the thoughts that you allow in, Right. We were talking about addiction and talking about porn addiction, all these things, right? If you even allow a little bit of that to seep in, that stuff runs, it runs rampant and it doesn't set you up to win. It's basically a cancer inside your body that's slowly pulling you away from your potential. And that's mediocrity. Stephen Pressfield talks about resistance in The War of Art. And if you haven't read The War of Art, you have to go get that book right now amazing fucking book. He capitalizes resistance with a capital R because in his mind, it is this physical entity. Anytime you're trying to do something great, hell, even something above average, resistance will push back against you. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I want to take a nap. Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, I want to watch this movie instead. That's fine. But I want to tell you something for everyone that can hear my voice right now. There will be a time in your life when you will no longer be able to chase after all these things that you were taking for granted this moment. And honestly, that time is a lot closer than you think. So whether it be being paralyzed the way I was, or whether it be changing jobs, getting married, having a child, all those things change in a heartbeat, but they last for the rest of your life. So if you can approach it with that sort of intensity, with this warrior idea, these ethos, if you can, uh, if you can build your life and create this model the same way that you would plan an assassination and then fucking execute it with that same level of intensity, you will be much closer to where you want to be. But if you don't take it too seriously and you just kind of brush it off and you listen to what we're saying right now and you say, man, that was powerful. And then you go to something else, I can't help you. And that's where we have to be. We were talking about how men are paralyzed now with analysis. They're looking at all these options. They're looking at all these things. If more information were the answer, then everybody would be a billionaire and have a six pack right now because of the internet. But what everybody's doing is they're going through and they're reaching for these things. They think that they learn this next thing, this new thing, this new podcast, this new book, this new mastermind, this new product, this new live event, whatever it is, those things are fine. But eventually you get to a point where you have to start putting this stuff into play. And honestly, really honestly, if I put a gun to your head and ask you, do you not know what the next thing you should be working towards is you not even have an inkling most of you know you have an idea and here's the thing the path is not going to be clear and perfect in front of you if it's easily lit and it's well laid and well maintained that's not your path but the direction absolutely knowing that you want to go this this direction west towards this thing and then boldly starting to make that that's when it happens the path does not come we create the path and as you're going through your life, whether it be a divorce, whether it be creating a new business, whether it being going out of college after university, whether being be deciding to go to university, you're going to feel lost on the path. But feeling lost on your path is part of your path. And you have to understand that. And that's where we understand that adversity is a gift. That is the, the compass. That is the indicator. That's what we lean into. Ryan Holiday talks about it, Marcus Aurelius, right? The obstacle is the way. Adversity doesn't It doesn't guard anything that is not worth having period. And if you have a choice between something that's guarded by adversity and something that's easy, you can bet that the thing that's being guarded is where you should be going. And if you make that your default setting, you will always do that. Whether it be walking up the stairs instead of taking an escalator, whether it be walking further from a parking spot, because you know that one, you need the exercise to that somebody else that may not be physically able should be able to get the closer parking strides, right? It's not that hard, but all of these things layer on top of each other and they dovetail into something that is either making you into the person you want to become or pulling you further away. And every decision that we make is either getting us closer or further. There is no in between. People will tell you that, but it's not the truth. So that's what you have to ask yourself is what I'm doing right now, getting me closer or further away. If it's not pivot immediately and go to that place. For four months, I was in that bed, paralyzed, and I was an asshole. I was mean to people because I was projecting. I was going through denial, anger. I was in bargaining for a long time. And then finally, I get to that place of depression, which is right before acceptance. And I kept asking myself, I kept trying to use this very Zen, very Taoist, very stoic idea. And Marcus Aurelius, Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art. The thick face, black heart, a lot of these, these classic literatures came back to my mind. But the thing is this guys, philosophy sounds great, but when you're in it, it sounds like a bunch of flowery bullshit. And it's easy for somebody else to be philosophical about their headache when it's not yours, but when it's you, Oh, now it's different. Oh, you want to be the exception to the rule. It just shouldn't apply to you. But adversity doesn't give a damn about your feelings. It shows up on at the most inopportune time without apology. They couldn't care less about what you want and it doesn't take no for an answer. So now what you got, and that's when you learn who you are, because if you live in this pristine vacuum, you have no clue what you believe in. You have these ideas, you have a hope of what will happen, but it's just like before you get into a fighter, before you take contact in, in combat, you have no clue until you're there. And even if you do it correctly once, it does not mean that you are guaranteed to succeed in the next one, right? So this is where embracing adversity, this is where discipline, this is where walking boldly towards that thing becomes the habit. Now you don't have to think about it. Now you just do it. When I was laying in that bed, I kept asking myself, is there anything from this that I can glean? I kept saying, no, no, no. They would come into my room. They would turn on Netflix. They would just leave me. And that's fine. Eventually, I just got to the point where I was like, please don't turn it on. Just leave the lights off. And they respected that. One night after laying there for that long, I finally realized I didn't gain anything from my injury, but I believe this injury would have happened to me no matter where I was. So if they had deployed us when I first got to my base, if we'd have been in Afghanistan in a hot zone and I got injured, for every one man that's injured in combat, it takes two to pull him to safety, right? So that means my team would be compromised. Another team would have had to cover down another squad, probably another platoon. That means a, a helicopter would have to fly into that hot zone. That means all the people on that huge target for an RPG, right? So for me, I wasn't grateful that I was hurt, but God, I was so happy that nobody else was injured because of it. And that's what real gratitude is. Because you can be grateful even if it's not helping you but the fact that nobody else was put in harm's way. And I understand we all signed the paper. We all know that when we go get ready to go into combat, but it's very different. And where I was at, I had to find something, anything to be grateful for. And that was the beginning for me. That was the cornerstone. And once I learned to be grateful for that thing, I became grateful for the IV in my arm, for the people that came and took care of me, for the bed that I couldn't get out of, for the room that I may never leave. And once I had genuine, no bullshit gratitude, legit gratitude, not the fake gratitude that people write stuff down and they don't believe it. And I'm I'm not I'm not shitting on people that they write down things to be grateful for, but if you don't feel it, if you don't really believe it, you're lying to yourself. And frankly, it's false positivity, and you're doing more harm than good. Because now, when something happens that you can you really want to be grateful for, you're conflicted you don't know. You're like, well, I'm grateful for these things. Here's what I challenge any of that's listening to this about. Stop writing down the stuff that you're grateful for. Writing down the, Instead, write down an adversity that you went through recently and then ask yourself, what did I learn from that? What can I be grateful from that adversity about? Do that before you brush your teeth at night. If you had a bad day, if you got into a fight, if somebody cut you off in traffic, if somebody was an asshole to you at work or whatever, Now that you're far enough away, you can step back and now you have perspective. And now you can take that breath. Now you have that high road. Now you have the high ground. Actually, you can look at it and say, no bullshit. Was this really that bad? No, it wasn't. And that keeps us honest. Once I started having that real gratitude, though, I started getting a little bit of feeling back on my left hand. And it wasn't a lot, but man, it was something. And when you've been like that for months, you'll take anything. And slowly, but truly, I got back to that. I got back to being grateful for just that little bit of movement. And then after a year and a half of occupational therapy and physical therapy, I eventually was medically retired and discharged. But even that was tough. Those of us that have been in the military and we we get out, we transition the civilian sector. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in, for years, you've been told what to do, when to do it, what to wear, what to eat, when to do it. And now you get out and you're like, I guess I go to school or I guess I get a job as a first responder or a cop because that's the most similar thing that I'm doing. But again, even within this, if you can stay close to that, here's the thing. When adversity opens a wound in us, our natural inclination is to get as far away from that as we possibly can. If we get our finger touched on that hot stove, we want to get away from it like a little, like a little child. But if we can stay close to it, if we have the courage, we can examine that wound and we can see what's in there. We can also see what hurt us. And if you have the courage to do that, even for a second, you'll learn a lot. Stuff that you won't learn any other way. So being stripped down to that bare area, that bare place in my, in my mind and my soul, that's what made me really take a look at that. And I'm, I hope that doesn't happen to anybody. I hope nobody has to go through the hardship that I did. But for better or for worse, pain and discomfort, the best teachers and we have to have something to bitch slap us from our slumber of mediocrity to make us begin to take action and for many of us it's going to be adversity.
1: Mm-hmm. Well wow. <laughs> quite a story my man. Yeah that's uh extremely empowering and and, it, and I think that's you know that's the message underlying message behind this isn't it it's like um, you lean you lean into the adversity so that you have control or power over it as opposed to it having control or power over you. So, and that, that you feel was the, was a turning point for you. Do you feel like you've had four months lying in a bed where you couldn't move uh, most likely playing the victim card during those four months, feeling completely out of control. And then once you, was the gratitude, the turning point, which you started to flip that a small bit or,
0: I I believe that it was, but if you ask me the scientific basis behind it, I'm sure that Joe Dispenza or somebody else could tell you. Um, But all I know is that that's what worked for me. Okay. And man, if it works, I'm going to lean into that because here's the other part. After I started getting a little bit of feeling back, I started having that hubris of a soldier again. Well, they told me that I could walk off this whole death thing. I'm going to walk off this whole prowess. I knew I could do it. And I slowly regressed. And within two weeks of being back in that cocky attitude, I went back to where I was square one. And I had to go through that entire pain all over again, that entire cycle. I had to go through all five. I had to go through anger, denial, going through all this bargaining, finally getting through depression, finally accepting it. But I was like, well, this is what worked before. I'm going to keep doing it. And even then for a little bit, nothing happened. But now that I've been through that, I don't let myself backtrack at all. And so that's why I try to have that radical, like real gratitude about stuff. It doesn't mean you have to like scream from the hills about it, but if you can start looking for the opportunity in every adversity that you face, it will absolutely help you. And here's the other thing. In the society that we live in where everything is very easy, many people create their own adversities, whether they're aware of it or not. So whether it be porn addiction, whether it be drugs, alcohol, bad relationships, right? All these things. It's absolutely there. So we can battle the semantics all day. But at the end of the day, you have to decide there's going to be adversity in one way, shape, or form. Which one am I going to choose? Which one's going to give me the biggest payoff? And in five years, these adversities that I choose on this side are going to get me closer to being the person, the man, the husband, the father, the provider that I want to be. Or it's going to leave me kind of where everybody else is at right now. And there's nothing wrong with kind of being in the middle but if you're listening to us right now, I believe that you want more fulfillment. I believe that you know that there's more within you. I believe that you want to know what that is. And I believe that my words will impact you because you know that that adversity is what makes us do it. When you lift weights, you have to go to a point of failure. When you sprint, you have to go to the point where you're about to puke. If you're doing a ruck march or if you're running, you have to go to a place where you do not want to be there and that you can continue. You do not want to keep doing this the next day or you're tired or writing a book, whatever it is, doing a podcast. You have to do all the stuff to get everything set up. You have to set up the, all the stuff that we have to do. Right. And this is the fun part, but all the stuff that goes behind it. And I have a team that does a lot of it for me, but even that trying to find the right people, the quality people have a conversation, have people that really want to talk about something not people that are sitting here trying to just sell you a glossy product and come to listen to my, whatever it is. And that's fine if they're making a living. But the reality is if you can just give something that's very real and honest to people, they will seek you out. You'll have to push them away with a stick if you're doing it the right way. And those are the people that we're speaking to now, right? If you create something that's fake and generic and vanilla and has no teeth, then the only people that would be attracted to it are people that are fake and generic and vanilla and have no teeth. And even if you gave them the cure for cancer, they would not act on it. So for everyone that's listening to us now, I challenge you to stop reading books. I challenge you to start writing down like five things that you know are true for you. It may not be something that anybody else believes, but if you just read a book by Robert Green or somebody and it's like, this is powerful, write that down. How can I put that into play? Hell, what we just talked about—adversity is a gift. Embrace it. Where is there adversity in your life that you're currently avoiding? Because here's the thing: the answer that you are seeking so desperately is found in the adversity that you are currently avoiding. Period. Yeah, that's it. Whether there be a, you have a, you need to have a conversation with your girlfriend or your wife, but you're avoiding it. That's not going to get better. Adversity that is avoided is adversity that is manifested stronger in the future, right? And there's two ways to deal with adversity, correctly and again.
1: Mm. Yeah, for a, of, for a lot of men, as you said, the adversity and the answers are found within the, in the challenge of the relationship, for example, but they're creating more adversity or external adversity from escaping that, that problem, going to That's the it. porn sites, going to the pub, drink themselves silly every couple of nights or just escaping through affairs, for example, or something else. And therefore, you're creating more adversity in your life as opposed to just dealing with the problem. And I feel um, like, as as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast there, you were physically paralyzed, but I I do believe that a lot of men are uh, mentally paralyzed in today's world. And as you said, they have all the information. They know what they need to do. But as much as there's a lot of information out there, there's also like a ton of temptation to pull them away from that adversity as well.
0: Yeah, there Which, absolutely isn't.
1: And, and the temptation in itself is an adversity.
0: It absolutely is. And like you said, sometimes we, we placate one adversity, but we create more in the long run. Mm. I talk about micro adversity. So whether it be waking up really, whether it be working out, whatever it is, these are the things that we can lean into and we can stack those. But like you say, if we're not even aware that we're distracting ourselves with something that's going to create more adversity in the future, then you're in this endless cycle and you can't even see it. Like you get are sucker punching yourself and not even aware of it. Mm-hmm. But that's why if you write down things like adversity is a gift, embrace it, you know, emotions assassinate the truth. Mystery loves company, but not as much as mediocrity. Like these are things that are simple, And if you can digest them, whether you think about it, when you go for a walk or for a run or meditate on them or whatever it is that you do, you will find that these are the kind of things that will help dismantle things or lead to other questions or point out things and highlight things to you that maybe you've overlooked. Mm -hmm. We talked about before how, like, I didn't want to write this book because there was so much in it. I I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, use my hands for a while, but I try to remember like all these lessons. And I wrote down 87 lessons when I was finally able to start moving my hands I was like, there's no way I can put this in a book. There's way too much stuff. Like nobody's going to read this. But eventually I started trimming the fat. I started finding like, oh, these are all similar. So this will be this chapter and this will be here. And then my great uncle, the the best lesson he taught me, I, I put that in there. So now you have these stories and these things that, because the idea is this, if I teach you a technique, you learn one technique. But if I teach you a concept, I teach you a thousand techniques. So for me, the concept I'm trying to teach you is that diversity is a gift. We don't see it at the time; it's hard for us to see at the time. And if you point it out to somebody, they're probably going to want to punch you in the face. But understand that. Look at all the times in your life that were hard. There was something you got out of it that was positive. And listen, I've talked to you know there was a a woman that I spoke to. She was a she was actually a young lady. Um, she had just escaped. She had been in human trafficking. And she'd been addicted to hard drugs since she was 14, when they would force her to prostitute. So for those of you that are doing pornography and looking at it right now, I want you to understand every person that's in that, whether it be the man or the woman, they were trafficked in some way. They were put into human trafficking. They were kidnapped. They were beaten. They were tortured in many ways. And now they're put into this position. Most of those people don't live much longer after that, as a matter of fact. So if you can understand that there is a person that you're observing in this and not just objectify them, maybe that'll be something that can help you understand what you're doing and why it's not helping you or that person. Mm-hmm. Human trafficking is the second largest multi-billion dollar criminal network in the world right now next to drugs. I ran David Goggins 4x4x48 challenge. I've done it for the last two years, running four miles every four hours for 48 hours to raise money for the Stop Human Trafficking Coalition in Central Missouri. and just raising $10,000 for them and seeing where that goes and seeing how that helps these people get a new life, begin this opportunity to create something else for them. So when I spoke to that girl and she was like, wow, your story is my story. I said, really? And then she told me what she had done. And she's hugging me. Like I'm this hero. And I was like, Oh my God, I can't imagine what this girl's been through. And yet she thinks I'm so brave. So adversity is not a competition. It's not. And anybody that's trying to one-up you with how bad their life is, Stay away from them because those people are toxic and they will never, ever be happy. But what I'm trying to say is there are a lot of opportunities that we have that we take for granted. And even in my TEDx, I talk about how that there are people that would give anything to have a 10th of the things that we're bitching about right now. Like my latte is not hot enough or, oh, the internet's slow. Really? There are people that are fighting for their lives right now, whether it be for food, water, or just to avoid getting killed tonight. If you're in a first world, if you can hear us right now, You have a huge opportunity in front of you, but I can't do the work for you. Mm -hmm. I can point you in the direction. You can point them in the direction too, with your work, with what you're doing with the podcast. But at the end of the day, it's on them. And uh, statistically, they said that at least half the people that buy your book will not finish it, which breaks my heart because I bled onto that paper for people. But the people that read it and they finish it, hopefully they take something from it. I've had some people that say, Hey, the way that you say that, that makes like, I've heard it different ways, but the way that you said it makes sense. So if that's the case, then I've done my job. Brilliant. You know?
1: And uh, in your life right now, because you're not paralyzed, you've overcome that uh, paralysis. And yeah. um, do you actively seek seek out the uh, the challenges and the adversity in your life today or absolutely <clears throat> and yeah, what, absolutely how, how do you do that is that true training is that true
0: taking- training is training is big but um like i, I recently attempted um kokoro's fits 52 hour it's like their two day version of what a uh, hell week is for seals okay. and so i trained for that and i got the 12 hours of it and then i wasn't able to hit the physical standard for murph and their time limit So they did a performance cut for me, but I didn't quit. I wasn't injured. And just the the lead up for that helped me because I'm 50 now. I'm 50, almost 51. So that was something that really pushed me again. Goggins four x four by 48 pushes me. um, Always doing something to keep myself in that place. And for most of us, the physical realm is the easiest one to start to embrace adversity. But if you can do it in a physical realm, then understand you can do it personally. You can do it financially. You can do it from a nutrition standpoint. If there's a spiritual component or an edification component in your life, you can absolutely do it there. So if you learn this discipline, if you learn to embrace adversity in one area, it will bleed over into everything else that you do in a positive way. And it will help you in any arena that you enter. Mm. But you have to be willing to do it, not just yesterday, not just this morning, Mm. tomorrow, the day after that. And what you'll start finding is once that's the case, when you speak to people, it makes more impact because you cut through all the bullshit. They're like, wow, it's so simple when you say it like that. It is, but I don't have the time and I have no compunction getting beyond so sur- bullshit. It's like, we have to get to this place, right? In my mind, I have a lot of urgency still. I'm 50, so I don't know how much time that I have. So I want to attack it with everything that I have. And that's why I speak and that's why I executive coach. And that's why I'm working on my second book now. And that's the goal is to be able to do these things. And all these things feed on each other. So the knowledge from my experience helps me physically, helps me write, helps me coach people. I can't tell you how many businesses in the last couple of years, especially with what happened in the world, where they were trying to pivot, trying to embrace adversity, but yet the people that they were going to didn't truly know what it was. It was more like a soundbite. But then they were like, when you came in, it's like it, I'm like, yeah, this is why, again, just like with you, like, you're an expert at what you do. That's, that's why you're so great at what it was, right? That's what we're trying to do. It's like, listen, there's something that you're great at. Whatever that is, adversity is going to be something that's going to be the catalyst that helps you level up. Mm. And if you're willing to do that, because adversity will kick your ass if you don't give 100%, period. And if you allow that to be your default setting to just not give 100%, you have a very comfortable life. And I feel sorry for you.
1: Yeah, well, fair play, man. You're still getting after that fifty, almost fifty-one. You're look yeah. You, know, you look you look pretty it's good. The haircut. For you, man,
0: tell you. It, it's the haircut and the tan. You did
1: something right. So uh, adversity uh, also slows down the aging process.
0: <laughs> it's the fountain of youth. Yeah, <laughs>
1: there's another selling point for you. Um, but yeah, uh, big respect, man. Big respect, and I think that's uh, that's why people uh, respect you because you, you've actually experienced adversity. Um, at an extreme level, you know. So not many of us are going to go through well, fingers crossed, not many of us are going to go through um that level of adversity or that um level of difficulty in our lives where we're we can't move for months on end. You know. Um, uh, but the fact that you've been there and you've come through it and you're still getting after it, you know, you're still still taking all these challenges and how, how has the injury been? Is, does it still affect you today? Or again, is that still part of the adversity?
0: So I still have some numbness in my hands and my feet, but to me, that's still a gift because it still tethers me to that adversity that I was on. Yeah. So it reminds me. And then also for me, um, about four years ago, I went to the low carb diet. And for me, not having carbohydrates in my body, all the inflammation on my neck and pretty much my whole body. If you've been in the military, everything hurts. It's to a point now where it there's some pain, but I can still do these things. Like if you'd asked me before, if I was going to be able to run, you know, 25 miles with 50 pounds on my back or do log PT or run up Hills or any of that kind of stuff, I would have said no. But, um, the thing is, we there's always more that we're capable of, but one, we have to be consistent, to set ourselves up to win in that environment. And then we have to be continually willing to push to the next place. There's some people that, again, if they try to do the four by four by 48 and they haven't ran, of course they're going to get hurt. Of course they're not going to want to finish. And now what does that do? That, that sets them up to fail because like, oh, I didn't succeed in this. But maybe for them, the adversity would be, listen, just run 3K tomorrow. yeah, Rain or shine, whatever the pace is. It doesn't have to be a breakneck pace. And then give yourself a couple of days to recover and say, no bullshit, how was that? Maybe do it again. I'm very much on this idea that if you want the monumental, you have to do the incremental because that's sustainable. And a lot of people, just like when we were kids, right? If I have an assignment due on Friday and I wait until Thursday and now I'm trying to stay up all night to do it, what am I doing? I'm trying to substitute intensity for the consistency that I should have been doing throughout the week. Well, in the things that we're trying to accomplish in our lives, it's the same way. You have to be consistent you have to be going through it and 60% of your workouts are going to feel about the same 20% are going to feel horrible, but there's going to be the other 20% where you actually level up and you click in. Mm -hmm. And it's like this no mindedness. It's like the warrior idea, this shin, where you're just executing, where you see the opening, either it be the doorway when you enter or the, the, the assailant in front of you and the opening is there and you transition from the weapon to the blade or whatever it is. And you're just doing it because you've trained it so often. And if you train adversity so often, it will not let you down. And here's the other thing. It will give you a huge tactical advantage against anybody else in today's day and age because everybody else is coming up right now. They're all fucking soft. Mm -hmm. The entitled generation, is it? It is. And I think it's probably worse in the United States than it is anywhere else, frankly. Okay. Yeah.
1: So you're said part of your if you're seeking out adversity and taking on the challenges and of course yeah this is in progress yeah above above, absolutely yeah yeah because there's and do you and like do you allow yourself time to enjoy life uh, absolutely on another. On another level like do you take some time out do you go on holidays do you take
0: vacations do you take a few days off or absolutely absolutely yeah
1: is balance very important for you as well
0: it it is the balance is not nearly as important as the ability to adapt so if you're an iron on a surfboard it's not about balance it's about being able to adapt quickly yeah. to ride that wave so my days are pretty much the same but i get up i ride, or I, I do my work but then I'm like, my, my Mondays and Tuesdays are are stacked up, but after that, it's like, I get two or three things done and I'm, I'm done. Now I can go spend quality time with my wife. We recently went to, you know, the grand Canyon last, a couple of weeks ago, got out. We're very physically active. That's something that we really, it kind of grounds us not only as a couple, but like as, as, as humans. Mm -hmm. And so, um, if, if you grind at something long enough, eventually you burn out. And if you fear that you're not doing enough, then even when you're off work, you're still there. So I'll give you guys the last, as we close, I'll give you these three things I give my CEOs. One, be present because here's what happens. If I'm not present at work, I'm not efficient. And if I'm at work and I'm worried that I'm not at home with my family because I'm working so hard for them, I'm actually not doing them a service because it's taking me longer to get this stuff done because I'm not efficient. If I'm at home and I'm sitting on the couch with the dogs and the kids and my wife and we're watching some mindless thing on TV and I'm like, oh shit, I should check my emails. I wonder if this got done. Oh, I wonder if I got back to so-and-so. Now what? I'm not present. So now I'm literally robbing myself of that pleasure for this thing I'm working so hard for. And I'm also being inefficient whenever I'm working. The second thing is there should be a power list. There should be two or three things that you have to get done every day And those are the things that you do no matter what. It's about laying a brick, just like your background, right? We don't build a wall. Fuck that. I'm trying to lay one brick perfectly, as perfectly as I can with the best brick that I can, with the best technique and the best everything. And then I do that again. That's all I'm doing. The wall shows up on its own. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then the last thing is when you're going through doing that stuff, it's what we said before ask yourself, is what I'm doing right now getting me closer or further away from these things that are on my power list, these things that I claim that I want so badly to do? So you and I, social media is a necessary evil. So if I check my messages, I need to do that. But if I'm trying to get dopamine hits because, oh, I got 5,000 likes on my post, it's like, that's not serving me. That's not serving the people that I claim to be working so hard for. I acknowledge that and and I'm I'm grateful for those things. But at the same time, the goal should be look at this, check my emails, get back to work, whatever it is, whether it means I'm going for a run in 20 minutes or whether that means that I'm getting back, going to that coaching call and being completely present for that person because their business is falling apart right now in this time of adversity. Mm -hmm. It's all these things that we're talking about are so simple, but they have to be just like in combat because in the heat of adversity, everything unravels. Even when you know what to do, there's going to be hesitation. And hesitation will kill you. More importantly, it will kill your dreams. So you have to keep all those things in mind and attack it with that sort of intensity and consistency. Again, with a warrior, the warrior walks into the battle knowing that they have to win. This is not like a, oh, you know, I'm, oh, maybe I'll win or I'll learn. It's like, no, you or your buddy's going to die. Or if you're fighting for your country, if you're fighting to defend somebody else, Man, you have to have that intensity. You have to have that intention when you go into it. There is no other way out. I have to walk through this enemy. I have to destroy them. There is no other way. Mm -hmm. And then even as warriors, we have to have that multifaceted component. We're talking about modern warriors, right? Your show. I have to have all these other skill sets too. Why? Because if all I am is a warrior, a striker, a killer, that's fine. But what happens when I get home? I can't communicate to my wife the way that I would communicate to my team mm-hmm. or kids or coworkers or the person at the store. They don't need that. So I have to have all these things. I have to have this Renaissance man mentality. I have to be like a samurai that can do all these skills, a chivalrous knight that can have all these skills. That's the, what we have to look at it. If we're trying to actually do this, mm-hmm. if you have the physical component, great. There's still five or six other circles that you should be pouring into. And if you can do it physically, like I say, then that means you have the ability to translate to other places. When David Goggins wrote his book and he was like, I'm using this discipline as a runner, but he's like, "You know, I'm a stupid motherfucker, roger that. And he's like how he had to write down everything in all of those books, all those dive manuals just to get it down. How many people are really great physically? They're like, I crush you at the gym. And then when it comes to something difficult, when it comes to discipline, when it comes to anything like intellectual, business related, "Ah, I don't do that. Oh, I can't do that. Ah, blah, blah, blah. Man, don't let yourself off the hook. Mm. Don't buy your own bullshit. Yeah, how you do There's one thing
1: reason. is how you should do everything. Ultimately,
0: yeah, I agree, absolutely agree.
1: Sweet man, thank you so much, Marcus. I know you're a busy man, mm-hmm. so I appreciate your time and your energy and your inspiration here in this on this uh, episode. And if uh, if the guys want to reach out and follow your work and hopefully grab a copy of your of your brilliant book, where can they find you? Where's the best place to get you at?
0: absolutely they can just go to marcus um they can go to amazon to get the book to get to adversity overcoming paralysis and pain to find purpose and then i'm on linkedin instagram under marcus really Anderson. uh i'm on twitter and i'm on uh i think i'm on facebook somewhere but Sorry. linkedin and instagrams were instagrams where you and i connected so yeah 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 it's a good place That's to that. get you at, man also thank you so much man and uh and the- the, my podcast is called Octa I always forget about that, but okay. Octa Verba is Latin for deeds, not words. And so if you're actually trying to put this stuff into play, that's a good kind of mantra to, to keep in mind, in, in my opinion. And um, again, a philosophy is only as good as the person using it. So. Nice one, man.
1: Yeah, well, I'll add all those links below on the show and also go check them out, man. And uh, thanks for you. Yeah, all right. Cheers, man. Thank you. Stay strong. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information, and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.